Welcome back to another episode of Firewall. Here today with Yu Yang Gu, uh, a data scientist who predicted the death count from COVID far better than any of the official institutions or, or public health entities doing it. So Yu Yang, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Bradley. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. When, when the virus first started being reported on and also February or so, what, what was going through your mind? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess uh, not much. I've been I just been following the media uh, and the news. Uh, so up, you know, before this pandemic, a lot of my information and news comes from right uh, the all the media. And so everything was just uh, in the beginning. I remember a lot of people were like don't panic, you know, continue to live lives as normal. Uh, you know, this, we're still this is not something to be concerned about. And then, of course, as we got into March, uh, the, the narrative kind of changed as people realized it was something kind of really serious. Uh, so that's kind of uh, what spurred me to kind of decide to uh, create a model uh, that can kind of give a better insight to what's going to happen uh, in over the next few months. Uh, because right by the time I think lockdown happened uh, in kind of mid-March, uh, a lot of us, including myself, were very kind of anxious right about about the future. Uh, so so you know, that kind of is the what drove me to to create create my own model. But when you did it, I mean, you're not an epidemiologist or, or a doctor or anything like that, right? Right, right. I had to actually Google the word epidemiology when I started creating the model. Uh, yeah, just never really touched on this before the pandemic. So, so you're an engineer and a math expert and a computer scientist, but you're not really a public health official in any way. What kind of made you think either that you could do this well or that there was a need for someone to do it? Uh, so when I started, I didn't really think I could do this wow per se uh i just saw that kind of the existing models back in march right we had one model uh, i think like the imperial college model that that for forecasting kind of two million deaths and then you had the other side uh the ihme model that was forecasting like sixty thousand deaths by by end of summer um so there was just a wide range uh of of possibilities and and so uh, I just wanted to kind of get get a little bit of you know clarity for my own sake, uh, and so it was mostly kind of I created it for my own benefit, um, and I didn't really expect it to kind of take off the the way it did. Uh, I I never thought that kind of I would have you know the, the most accurate model or one of the most accurate models, but I guess uh, it turned out that kind of my background in statistical modeling turned out to be very helpful in creating accurate predictions more so than maybe the traditional uh, epidemiologists. So, so what were you doing differently than, say, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which by their name would imply that they should really be good <laughs> at this? Um, like, w w what did you do differently? Yeah, so uh, I think what kind of made my model unique in, in, is, this, uh, is that kind of I just approached it from a purely blank slate, right? I had no background in infectious diseases. Uh, so for me to create a model, I had to make it as simple as possible. Uh, and uh, kind of without any uh, previous 
assumptions or misconceptions that can kind of cloud my judgment. Uh, so one of the things that I decided on very early on was uh, I decided to only use deaths as my input source. Uh, so no other, no cases, no case data, no testing data, no hospitalizations, not, not, only deaths to predict future deaths, right? So I think a lot of the other models, they were trying to use many different data sources. And it turned out that, uh, you know, using all these extra data sources, especially when data quality is so low, my may actually end up kind of uh, adding noise to the data rather than adding signal. Uh, so I think early on I realized that deaths is probably the best predictor of past deaths is the best predictor of future deaths, and I kind of just uh, kind of st stuck with that. And then of course I applied uh, my machine learning background to kind of uh, learn kind of the, the parameters uh, independently, uh, regardless of kind of what, you know, the experts or the, uh, the other modelers think it could be. I just kind of let them, right, <laughs> let the machine learn the parameters and, and go from there. And, and so when you were doing this, what was the reaction from the, the experts? Did they say, oh, he's only using deaths as a predictor and therefore this is totally inaccurate? Or did they recognize that maybe their models had more noise in them that was necessary and that you were onto something? Uh, well, I remember kind of in April when I, when I, early April when I launched the website, I started kind of emailing different uh, people, uh, people in the media, people in academia, and, and et cetera, to kind of, uh, you know, let them know, hey, like I have a model, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. And uh, in the beginning, of course, I think people were more, a lot skeptical, <laughs> right, of, of someone, right, like with my background with no, right, no background in pandemics or infectious diseases. Uh, but of course, as time went on, right, it became more and more clear that my model was performing very well, if not kind of better than all the other models. Uh, so I think at, kind of once, uh, once that happened, uh, you know, the people started paying a lot more attention to it. And, you know, they began realizing, oh, like this model is, is, is very simple, yet uh, it seems to, you know, kind of do a pretty good job at, at, at prediction. And, and then I think in, in late April, uh, my model was added to the CDC website. So that's when kind of things really took off and people were kind of oh, like, what is, who, who is, who is uh, Yu Yang here uh, and why is his model on, on the CDC website? So that, that's, I think, kind of when, when uh, more and more people started kind of paying attention to the, to the model. So what was there? I mean, were you just overwhelmed with kind of texts and emails and calls? And, and if so, were they from the media or from health experts? Who, who were you dealing with? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I, I think the, the most interesting thing was, um, yeah, I got like a lot of requests from the media. And it's funny because I like a lot, I've emailed a lot of people in the media in early April, but none of them got back to me. But then as soon as kind of my motto appeared on the CDC website that the same people that kind of never <laughs> responded to my emails are now kind of replying and, and asking me to, to kind of do interviews with them. But I, I think uh, from the academic side, like I think people, I, I, I mean, I, I'm right, like I've been working from home and my only source of kind of um, being able to, to talk to the broader kind of academic community was on Twitter. 
so I didn't really get a, a have like a great sense of of kind of uh, how much people are talking about my model, but I guess I think there was a decent amount of of uh, discussion around it, uh, but I'm not kind of too familiar with it, and I guess that uh, I don't I didn't mind it too much because right like my whole purpose was right I wanted to be kind of separate from uh the the academic space right and i want to pursue it from pursue this problem from a purely kind of data science uh uh perspective and, and show that kind of we can use data to do powerful things without necessarily having kind of that the years of of uh kind of domain expertise that traditionally would be required to do something like this so you're seeing kind of your model and it's it's more accurate than the ones from the different experts what was that saying to you at the time about kind of the overall approach to dealing with COVID? did it scare you that maybe our experts and our government didn't really know what they were doing or did you think they were just deficient in predicting the the death model uh no actually uh i i i wanted to i thought academia was very powerful uh, in a sense, right, like we were all trying to better understand the disease in a period where there's so much uncertainty. And so I relied on a lot of my kind of estimates. So, for example, like the infectious period or uh, a term called uh, serial interval, or like time to uh, when people begin showing symptoms. Right. So like all of those things are kind of measured and calculated by people in academia and I was able to kind of use that in my modeling uh, and of course things like the in fact like the fatality rate uh, and, and, um, and things like that so I, I've used a lot of kind of the, the, the work I built on the work of existing academia and um, so kind of we were all trying to kind of work together in a sense. Um, of course, I'm a little separate, uh, still using more data. But right at the time, I think a lot of people were still kind of right. Like there are a lot of deniers of COVID. Uh, yeah. So I think right, like I I was on I found Twitter to be a very useful platform. And of course, um, you know, there were a sense of kind of, oh, like, right, like people fighting the experts. And I considered myself kind of, right, like with the, the experts, with uh, people in academia, right, to, to show that this virus is serious. Uh, and it's something that, you know, needs to be taken seriously, especially, right, when states are reopening, uh, it can lead to kind of another surge. Uh, so it wasn't until kind of, later on in the summer and you know towards the fall that uh you know i i, I think there's a little bit of a, more of a disconnect uh in the sense that right like you know as the pandemic goes on we learn more and more about the virus and and what we can do to control it and the data becomes more and more obvious that kind of all these interventions uh aren't as helpful as you know a lot of these experts made it out to be and um so of course in, in march you know we don't know much about the virus so we just have to right to be on to to play it safe we have to right lock down the country and and kind of uh do a lot of these uh stay at home orders uh but over time right we it, the data sh it becomes more and more clear that it's, it's not as effective as we thought it would be and of course the, the issue becomes right a lot of these experts continue to cling on to the idea that 
these interventions are helpful and states must do this, this, and that to control the pandemic, uh, even though the data says otherwise. And I think that's where kind of uh, some of these uh, tensions uh, can, can, can come about. Yeah. Did the data to you say that the practices and precautions that we were taking weren't nearly enough or that they were just the wrong ones and they weren't working? Uh, no, no, like, I, I totally agree with like everyone, right? all the public health experts that read, like we, we have to take precautions, things like social distancing, wearing a mask, right, and, and avoiding social gatherings. All of these things will definitely help uh, control, kind of con control the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, like in terms of what the government can do to enforce that, uh, I think uh, there's kind of a real limit to the, their ability to 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 right like force people to to do such things. And my personal opinion right, is that right like I think public health messaging should be kind of important and getting people to 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 take these precautions. But right like I think a lot of this debate in the media these days are often focused on what the government can do. And yep. uh, that kind of is really, in my opinion, missing the point because, um, you know, I think a lot, especially in right, these red states, people don't <laughs> necessarily listen to the government. So uh, there, there's a really limit to, to kind of the, the, the power and the control that a government can have. And it, it should really be, we should really be focusing on messaging on kind of, you know, reaching out to the people themselves and telling them kind of what the actions that they, they should take to, to, you know, kind of help help themselves and also their communities. Right. And then you, you mentioned kind of Florida's one or red states as one example. You know, it, it seems like on, on both sides, in, in some of the red states, if they wanted to deny that COVID was even a problem in the first place, did that make you distrust the data coming out of there? And then if we've seen even places like New York that, that seem to be on top of it, uh, they were misreporting or deliberately lying about the number of, of deaths um, in nursing homes. So what did all of the kind of politicization of the data, um, how did it impact what you were doing and, and what did it, what did you learn from it? Yeah, uh, I think, I mean, overall, just kind of the, the narrative of everything becomes uh, politicized uh, and it's, it's pretty unfortunate. And yeah, I think Florida and you know, New York is, is a good example uh, I, I mean, I've spoken to uh, kind of the, the kind of the leaders, uh, the, the, the people kind of control, uh, helping to lead public health in Florida. Right. And and I, I know kind of there's this idea that that Florida is hiding numbers and things. But I, I mean, I, I'm looking at the data and that I'm not necessarily seeing such things. Uh, but of course, uh, right, you see New York and, uh, you know, kind of this that that clear uh now right evidence that kind of there has been the mismanagement of of a lot of the reporting especially in nursing homes early on uh, but overall kind of i think we we do have to have a certain amount of trust in the data to be able to build these models uh right once you get to a point where oh like you can't trust data coming out of this state or that state then it kind of really compromises the uh the the entire kind of model 
uh, and there are people that are looking through the data to look for inconsistencies in, in how states report, but I don't think uh, there's kind of any uh, evidence so far that kind of any state is, is, is purposely doing something that's uh, kind of hiding the data or anything like that uh, per se. So uh, I think it's just kind of unfortunate with the current kind of uh, I guess it didn't help, right, that the election happened during the, during the pandemic, so everything just became like either a left or right issue, when re in reality, the truth is always kind of somewhere in the middle. So uh, that's kind of my whole goal is to, to kind of tell people, right, that like we, ha we can't look at things from a polarized lens, we have to think of it from like an objective unbiased perspective and usually that that truth is is uh tends to be in the middle so we we live in a world where massive amounts of information are thrown at us at all times right there's there's more computing power in our phone than the you know best computers in the world 50 years ago um and there's lots of competing agendas and it feels like there's lots of different data points to make or disprove whatever argument someone wants to make Given all of that, how do you decide what data to trust and, and what not to? Not, not just around COVID deaths, but just in going through life. Yeah, I, I think, um, right, like we're in this space now uh, where, where kind of technology has evolved so much that there's, right, with there's almost like a data overload, right? You can get, you know, mil hundreds of, you know, terabytes, petabytes of data. You could do all these sorts of things with it. Uh, you can kind of all throw it into a model and, and let this kind of let machine learning figure it out, for example. Uh, but at the end of the day, right, like when we're when we have to make decisions that uh, are as important as something like COVID, right, we have to be able to understand both the data, right, and the model uh, and kind of all the assumptions that go into the model and, and, and its outputs. And so I think we're, we're at a point where it's almost kind of we're using too much data uh, without kind of under, really understanding uh, what, what, what they mean and why we're including them in, 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 as an input. Uh, so I think kind of my example with COVID, right, where I only use past COVID deaths to predict future COVID deaths um, and it ended up being the most accurate model is an example of kind of how we don't need necessarily all these data, even if it's available to us, we just need to kind of fundamentally understand what the problem we're trying to solve is and what kind of the, the most basic uh, inputs that are needed to solve this problem. Um, so it, of course it doesn't hurt to have more data, right? But we just have to be careful about when and why we're using it uh, and not just using it for the sake of using more data. So even if we put the different competing political agendas aside, um, given that what you were right, that fewer inputs in this case actually produced a, a more accurate model, what are other other types of data that we kind of rely on and take for granted as accurate? Do you think that also may be similarly flawed and actually be having you know have, have too many sources and as a result it isn't getting it right? Uh, yeah, so I mean I don't I I'm not kind of exposed in all of the the kind of ways people use use data, but I can kind of 
imagine right like given the example with COVID that you know a lot of organizations or a lot of governments are kind of overusing uh, too many kind of data sources uh, because it, right, especially if you want to train a model of course kind of in sample the more inputs the more data you give the model the better uh, your kind of prediction will be using uh, kind of in-sample or historical data, right? The problem is when you're trying to predict out-of-sample or kind of future data, uh, then using kind of all these sources would lead to this phenomenon called overfitting, uh, where you're basically uh, kind of fitting to the noise in your data rather than kind of the signal. And I imagine right, a, a lot of uh, companies or organizations out there are likely overfitting a lot of whatever their models are doing, uh, and they may not necessarily be aware of it. Uh, and so it, it's, a, it's a tough problem. Uh, and, and I know like it's kind of the, the, the cool thing to do to add as much data as possible because right, like that kind of add, adds to like this cool factor um, that a lot of these companies are kind of marketing themselves as. But I think in reality, if you actually look at kind of, you know, what, what, what is the thing that can make this model the most accurate as possible, it may not necessarily be kind of adding all these data sources. And it may be something that is just kind of a, a much simpler model, but it may not have that kind of, uh, I guess, the cool factor as right. I like to refer it. So is, is that like maybe an opportunity for you? People can hire you to look at their data sets and you can say, okay, you've got 50% too many here, 80% too many here, this looks about right. Or, and if, if not, what are you gonna do next? Yeah, uh, I guess the, the, the thing with, right, like with uh, you know, me saying, oh, you're using too much data or whatever, right? but at the end of the day, it's also about like investors and things like that. And of course, you know, more about this than I do, right? But I guess if I were to sell, right, like in March, if I were to sell my model to investors or pitch my model to investors and I say, oh, I'm only using deaths data to predict future deaths. And then you have another model, right, that says, oh, we're, we're adding mobility, we're adding uh, population density, we're incorporating co comorbidities, right? That, that sounds like a much more enticing <laughs> option uh, I imagine two investors, then you know, oh, my model is like a very simple uh, model that only uses deaths. Uh, so I think kind of it's a it's a tough problem to have, and and it's of course the solution isn't too simple. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, my future, I, I still uh, I'm still kind of looking at what are the uh, other opportunities there are out there to kind of use data in kind of an unbiased, uh, rigorous fashion. And of course, I think COVID still is here. It hasn't gone away. So I'm still kind of actively monitoring like the variants and the vaccinations and things like that. But I, I just kind of stepping back from these daily updates. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what comes next. Uh, but uh, I, I think I do want to kind of stay in this kind of tech uh, uh, tech uh, space or kind of public health space. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where it takes me. Cool. Well, then speaking of that, uh, for people listening to this podcast, because there's a lot of VCs and, and founders and other people on it, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, well, I, I'm, uh, I 
have uh, a website and a Twitter, so uh, it's it's not too easy to uh, it's not too hot difficult to to find me. Uh, but uh, so you know, I'm always looking for uh, kind of new new opportunities and, and new yeah. kind of areas to to uh, use uh, utilize my my skill set. So you know, happy to 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 talk to you. Yeah. And what's what's the URL for the website? Oh, it's just uh, yuyangu.com. Perfect. And, what, and your Twitter handle? Uh, also, yuyangu. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, hey, yuyangu, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I guess maybe congratulations is a weird thing to say when you're predict, accurately predicting deaths, but uh, good, maybe good job, whatever the right <laughs> thing is, you know, I'd like to say. So, hey, thanks again. All right. Yeah. Th thanks, thanks, Bradley. It was nice talking to you. You too.